Thanks for downloading and welcome to Take Orally, the Emergency Medicine podcast recorded at Dream Queen's Medical Centre, Nottingham. This episode is the abdominal pain in children, episode three, non-abdominal causes. As ever, all information is correct at the time of recording. All guidelines are correct for Nottingham University Hospitals NHS Trust. Other trust guidelines may vary. All views and opinions are the speaker's own. Hello, welcome back to uh, the third part of our trilogy. The third part of the instalment. All good trilogies come in three parts. This one does as well. Uh, When it comes to um, children um, with abdominal pain. Uh, Jamie Thomas still here. Colin Gilhooley. Still here. Still here. Still ranting. And um, we've looked at, in the first episode, we looked at those serious causes, time-critical causes of abdominal pain. In the second one, we looked at less serious, but much more common to be seen. We're now in this one, we put it under non-abdominal causes, but also weird and wonderful causes, maybe. Yeah. Should we so call think, it like that, a little bit miscellaneous? Think, yeah, so I think ab- abdominal pain is so common um, that there are conditions that either aren't within the GI tract or aren't within the abdomen that mm. cause abdominal pain. Um, and I think some of these are things that we need to not miss and just be aware of a little bit. And so it's nice just to think about what they might be and have an idea about how we manage them uh, and how they might present. And go through some abbreviations, HSP, yes. HUS, yeah, absolutely. HSP, HUS, DKA. <laughs> right then. Uh, so where would you like to start, Colin? Um, DKA, I guess. DKA? We have already done a paediatric DKA podcast, we have. yourself, me and, and Dr. Tilson. And uh, I would highly recommend it to all of you out there. Brilliant, yes. Um, Where so can you find it? You can find it on takeorally.com. Brilliant, yeah. Or you could go to Facebook or Twitter. Brilliant, yeah. Hashtag takeorally. <laughs> Hashtag uh, McDreamy. Uh, at McDreamy. At McDreamy. At McDreamy, at takeorally. You're still not on Twitter, are you? Nope. Uh, also, SoundCloud, iTunes, yeah, brilliant. You're, you're very up to date with the, oh, with I'm the message. I'm always on there, Jamie, that's why I know exactly. I go there every night. Brilliant. Helps me get to sleep. <laughs> There's a photo of you on there as well. Uh, so, DKA, sorry, we were, it's, um, yeah, DKA, yeah. abdominal pain. So, as we all know, DKA, uh, diabetic ketoacidosis, incredibly serious condition, uh, can be life threatening, um, and hopefully, uh, the child's been diagnosed, but they might not have been, and so that tri- triad of polyuria, polydipsia, and glycosuria um, should be looked for. But they also might project, just present with abdominal pain and vomiting, or it might be that uh, they've got a recent illness which has pushed them into DKA, um, and that they, as a result of that, then have abdominal pain and vomiting. So I'd say that. In children in DKA, abdominal pain is a is a common feature. Yeah, I was um, going to say because I've read um, a paper, um, it was on adults, but forty six percent of adults with DKA will have abdominal pain yeah. uh, as one of their presenting complaints or as a sign that you find. Yeah. Um, you would probably go off the top of your head. Do you think similar in, in kids? Think, yes, definitely. I think it is it's very similar, and I think in someone who you think looks unwell who has abdominal pain. Uh, a blood sugar it's just something that can be done just with a finger prick test at the bedside should be done um, because it, it gives you two things one it tells you if they're hypoglycemic so in our children uh, we sometimes worry about them having some rare metabolic conditions where there may be a disordered ability to deal with proteins fats or sugars um, and so if it's low it gives you an idea that you might need to think about one of them and then if it's high gives you the possibility that they might have diabetes and as a result that might be in DKA. So a blood sugar is always worth doing in anyone with persistent abdominal pain who's unwell 
or anyone who's got persistent symptoms of vomiting. Mm. Um, and obviously, if you want to know more about DKA, um, we've already alluded to the fact that we've done a podcast on that. Um, but just as a pointer, um, and something that I think will be interesting with regards to DKA over the coming years, is um, what causes cerebral edema, Jamie? So we had a very long discussion about this yeah. uh, in the podcast about um, the risk of cerebral edema in uh, in children with DKA, uh, whether it's part of the systemic response uh, that, that the, ch- the yeah. child is uh, undergoing at that point. Um, I've read papers where they talk about... Um, you know, you, you've gone from a dehydrated state to throwing a lot of fluid. The, the child literally can't cope, and they start third spacing, and, and you get cerebral edema. Are you going to tell me there's some more cutting edge? Oh, there's just been a research paper which is uh, I think just been published or is due to be published, where they randomised uh, children with DKA to receive either uh, a fast fluid regime or a slow fluid regime. So is the fast one more like in keeping with adults? Um, more in keeping with adults. Yep. Um, and because um, they get a, a liter an hour, so in this they were given um, their replacement fluids, so their their deficit mm. was replaced over sure. twelve hours, I think. Okay, and then they were put on maintenance on top of that. Okay, which is very different. So at the moment we replaced the deficit over forty eight hours. Yeah, which was the the control group, um, and there wasn't a statistical difference uh, in uh, the rates of cerebral edema. So it um, might just be the DKA itself rather than. So it might be more to do with an inflammatory response yeah. uh, system where you go from different things. So it's an area. You heard to watch. it here first. I just want to make it clear to any endocrinologists out there. I'm sorry. I'm just saying what the paper said. Um, obviously, I will continue to follow the policy for um, yeah. DKA for NUH uh, as it is, as we should all do. But I think it's somewhere to watch this space over the next five to ten years because it may well change. Yeah. Excellent. Okay. Um, so yeah, always on. follow. Always follow guidelines. Keep reading, keep current. Excellent. Yeah. Uh, next on. Uh, HSP. HSP. Henoch Schoenlein Purpura. So it's vasculitis, IgA mediated, um, uh, and it's systemic. It affects the small vessels of the skin, the gut, and the kidneys. Papyric rash. And it gives you a papyric rash. Basically, buttocks. Buttocks. And then down the legs uh, into the lower legs is, is considered to be the classical part of it. Um, children with this will often have abdominal pain uh, they may well have joint pain, knee pain, ankle pain being the most likely places uh, and it can be very severe and in some it can cause intersusception mm. yeah, so just like they're getting swollen joints they're getting this vasculitis in the skin within the, within the gut they can get some edema and swelling and then they can uh, have telescoping into it so they can have severe abdominal pain wow, okay um, so just something to be aware of when you see someone with HSP uh, to speak to the parents. I think if you see it, the worry is always, oh my word, I've got a child with a non-blanching rash. Well, yeah, I was going to say. Have they got meningococcus septicemia? Exactly, yeah. Um, and so I think it's about being aware of the na- natural history of it. The, the children, when they present with a rash, don't usually present incredibly unwell. Uh, there may or may not be a fever, um, but the characteristic rash with joint swelling uh, gives it a much more likely and if you're sure in the diagnosis uh, then you need to do a urine dip to make sure that there's not a huge amount of protein being lost do a blood pressure to make sure there's not a significant uh, problem with the, the kidneys and if they're okay then there is a very good um, 
flowchart that can be followed uh, in the guidelines at NUH for how we manage these children. So they can actually be discharged from the emergency department and follow up arranged uh, either with their GP or as an outpatient. If there are any concerns about significant protein loss in the urine or their blood pressure, they should be admitted. If there are any doubts about the diagnosis, then they should have some bloods done. Because uh, whilst HSP is a common vascular litidies in children, it is not the only one. And so they may well have a different one if it's an atypical presentation. Mm. Um, so as I say, it's common. The key thing here is pain control. Uh, so often when they present, they may have some abdominal pain or some drug pain. Uh, it's important to let uh, the child and the parents know that this is going to get worse. So often can have quite severe joint pain, severe abdominal pain that can be quite debilitating um, and warning them about this and making sure they've got good analgesia and regular analgesia to take. There's obviously a concern about the use of ibuprofen because you're worried about there potentially being some renal involvement. Mm. Um, so depending on the age of the child, um, optimal pain control should be, should be sought. And sometimes children will have to come in purely for, for pain management. Sure. Um, and that's probably all I've got to say about HSP, I think. Um, and then moving on to another three-letter abbreviation, so HUS, or hemolytic uremic syndrome. So obviously, in this country, this is probably started off being caused by a GI um, event. E. coli. So normally an E. coli. E. coli uh, in this country. So in this country, E. coli I157, Shigella worldwide. Um, so HUS um, is they often have uh, a, a diarrheal type illness which can be quite severe then they develop blood in their stools um, and then obviously they start to become more lethargic and tired as they've got ongoing hemolysis in their body and then their urea starts to go up as they've got some renal involvement. Um, they can become incredibly unwell with this, it's important to spot it and spot it as early as you can uh, and get uh, expert treatment. Um, so they can have significant hemolysis, significant uh, drop in their hemoglobin. Uh, the problem obviously here is that if you transfuse them, you give the more substrate that can then be hemolyzed. Mm. Yeah, so you've got to choose your point at which you do things very carefully. Okay, so this probably needs quite, quite good management, so you need to get your friendly paediatric colleagues involved in managing this patient uh, uh, early on. Um, and most patients can be managed uh, with good and careful fluid balance. Uh, occasionally a few though will become more unwell uh, and might need uh, intensive care support. It's also important to note with uh, HUS that about 5% of patients develop neurological sequelae as a result of this. Oh, okay. Okay. So you need to be careful with these patients, you need to watch them closely okay, because they can become unwell. Why um, is that? Um, so as a result of this, um, their kidneys stop working, they have electrolyte imbalances, um, that can lead to seizures, uh, and I've uh, had the unfortunate situation of being involved with children who've been unwell with HUS, uh, and they can become very well and difficult to treat. So they need a very careful eye care, keeping on them when they present. So you need to watch the hemoglobin, you need to watch their electrolytes carefully, you need to watch their renal function and their fluid balance very carefully. because. Um, if you overload them a little bit and they've got some renal failure but with some electrolyte loss or third spacing until they get their sodium can drop very quickly. So I would take care with this group of patients. Um, other things to say is we've obviously talked about E. coli being the most common causative organism, Shigella worldwide, uh, but it's also associated with uh, pneumococcal infection, uh, which thankfully is something we're seeing less and less and less on as, we, 
as they've been vaccinated, and not only that, but the vaccine is now uh, multivalent, and they've increased the coverage uh, of the number of strands of pneumococcal that they cover. So that's that's excellent and is helping very much. So I think in terms of um, common uh, conditions or and serious conditions, obviously DKA, HUS, and HSP are probably three things that uh, cause significant abdominal pain. And sickle cell? And sickle cell. So I think in terms of haematology in, uh, in paediatrics, uh, as soon as children present with acute severe abdominal pain and they're known to have sickle cell or you suspect sickle cell, it's important to manage them according to uh, the guidelines. Most trusts will have one and there are certainly national guidelines out there to make sure that their oxygen requirements are good, their pain is well controlled. Uh, and they have good fluid status and I think in terms of managing sickle cell and all the different types of crises I think that's probably something we should probably save for another day and another podcast As if you're in agreement Colin I'll agree to that you, yeah, you're I all witness <laughs> I think that would be an excellent one to do in terms yeah. of the management of children with sickle cell disease yeah. and probably we could look at some other haematological uh, conditions uh, including perhaps um, some of the haemophilia patients and, Brilliant. and how they present in children uh, let's do it quite interesting uh, and the other thing that can cause significant abdominal pain uh, might be accidental ingestions. So we see paracetamol ingestions, they can cause GI side effects. Uh, but the ones that I probably worry more about um, are unfortunately iron poisoning, which is reasonably rare, but iron tablets are out there, they're available. They look uh, like sweets. They look like sweets, and if you take a lot of them, um, they have potentially devastating side effects and consequences. Uh, but again, I guess in terms of poisonings, that's probably quite a big area. So I guess we're we going to have to do uh, a poisonings in children. We'll do podcast? a poisonings in again. This is brilliant. Oh, this workload is uh, lifting up, isn't it? It is indeed. But well, I think that's fine. So I think maybe in terms of non-GI uh, causes, we spoke briefly about tumours in yeah, the last session. In so the we talked episode, about yeah, Wilms tumour, yeah. uh, and there are obviously other other tumours out there, but Wilms is one. Uh, and then there's the lymphomas and the mm. leukemias that can present with abdominal pain and abdominal masses um, but that might be one for uh, for someone else to give us their expert opinion on we'll have to see who's out there Yes, I think I might be able to find <laughs> some people to come and help us out with some of these and um, you briefly mentioned as we were setting up the mic and everything mm. um, the abdominal migraine abdominal migraine, yes yes. so uh, it's um, a kind of like a like a migraine, but in the abdomen. Um, so you usually get periumbilical pain uh, in the vast majority vast majority of cases, or sometimes it can be slightly more diffuse than that. Uh, it doesn't usually occur until after the age of seven. Um, the pain, um, like the pain of a migraine, uh, is incapacitating, so they won't be able to do any of their other activities of daily living. Can be associated with a headache. But isn't always, and can be associated with vomiting. But isn't always. Um, children who who have abdominal migraine will usually have a family member who's got some history of migraines of some description. Um, it's often one that's not made the first time it happens. You know, they have recurrent presentations with debilitating abdominal pain, uh, which stops them doing everything. They have no. Um, evidence of any diarrhea or anything like that and uh, no other uh, red flag symptoms physical examination is usually not very exciting it's usually normal there may be some slight abdominal pain but not a lot uh, and 
um, it's one that I guess is never never made by us in the emergency department I don't think mm. um, and um, it is treated um, as, as you would treat uh, uh, migraine in children uh, which uh, we have talked about in a previous podcast we have as well uh, I'm sure it can be found on your uh, website brilliant and I think what we're seeing here what keeps bringing up other podcasts Jimmy, is we're seeing how diverse abdominal pain can mm. be and how it can it can be difficult and it mimics lots of different conditions from mm. non-GI to GI pathologies from oncology to endocrine mm. uh, and that's why it's so difficult and that's why I think we've, we've, we've chosen to split these into three to, to kind of highlight what you don't want to miss what's common and then other things that, that you need to be thinking about yeah. uh, it's something that you need experience in seeing in children and it's something that the more you see the more confident you'll be with it um, but you will always have in the back of your mind what if Yes. So as, as a junior, always speak to a senior. If yeah, not, I think if there's any senior. concerns, advice. Especially, I think that's a good rule for paediatrics, Jamie. If you're not sure, ask. Beautiful. Anything else you would like to talk about when it comes to these extra abdominal causes of abdominal pain? No, I think uh, we've probably no? talked quite a lot. And you've talked yourself into a few more podcasts as well, which is brilliant. Work, which is, which is good. Well, I, I always enjoy seeing you, Jamie. So. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, well, thank you very much, Colin, for coming, uh, yeah. for recording this trilogy. Um, good luck with the imminent parenthood. Oh, thank you very much. I how, look forward to How many weeks to go? Four weeks to go. Four weeks to go. Yeah. Your lovely wife, who's a neonatologist. She's a neonatologist, and she's uh, just starting mat leave now. So okay. Well, uh, this these will soon be up. You can play it for her, and she can, you know, see if she agrees with you. I'm sure she'll enjoy that. <laughs> <laughs> As she's going through labour. Anyway, thank you so much, Colin. Thank, thank everyone you for, for listening, me. and um, yeah, goodbye. That was the Take Orally Pediatric Abdominal Pain Episode 3 Extra Abdominal Causes podcast. Remember that you can find more information at, at uh, takeorally.com and you can also find Take Orally at, on both Facebook and Twitter. For more information about education and research opportunities within emergency medicine, acute medicine and major trauma, you can find NUH Dream on both Facebook and Twitter.